Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Beedratty. I was down at the PGA show a couple weeks ago. I was hanging out at the uh, Driati Den and all the Summit Golf uh, booths. And one of my favorite uh, items that I came across was the Lawrence Lightweight Vest. Uh, this is a Beedratty piece. It's available on their website, Beedratty.com. One of the neat things about this vest is it's reversible. So it, it's a very visually appealing uh, vest. It, it's going to keep you warm. And, you know, one day it's navy, the next day it's gray. So it gives you a lot of versatility. I mean, like nobody wants to be the blueberry wearing, you know, a blue vest with blue jeans or blue pants, navy, navy khakis. So it lets you flip it inside out and all of a sudden it's a gray vest. So you can get... Uh, the Lawrence Lightweight Vest on Beedratty.com. I think we, we might add it to uh, the Pro Shop in the near future. I think I, I got to get on that. But if you use the code FRIEDEGG15, you'll get uh, 15% off your purchase. So if you uh, go go check it out at Beedratty.com or ask your Pro Shop about it. Today's episode is with uh, renowned golf voice, Jeff Shackelford. Jeff wrote a book, The Future of Golf, about 15 years ago now that pretty much outlined all the all the things that golf's going through. So big news this week with the Distance Inside Report. Jeff and I talk about that for a very long time in this podcast. And then we also touch on the Professional Golf League, or Premier Golf League, not Professional Golf League. I don't know what I'm... It's early in the morning here. Uh Premier Golf League, a story that Jeff has been on the forefront of chasing, reporting on um, the potential of a new golf tour. So uh, a lot of kind of off the course things happening in golf right now. It's exciting. Um, I think a lot of us have looked at, uh, at, at the distance problem in golf for a long time. It's important to note the regular player that hits at 250 isn't going to lose much. 220. If you hit a 225, you're not going to lose much yardage. You know, we might use, lose a yard or two. You're not even going to notice. But we're I hopefully going to see in the near future um, a game that's, that isn't driver wedge when a hole is 450 yards, 480 yards. You know, you see these guys hitting driver wedge now, and, and it's really taken away from the uh, from the golf courses and uh, essential part of the game. So we outlined what the USGA talked about in their distance report and uh, the PGL. Without further ado, here is Jeff Shackelford. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Just uh, talk into that. Oh, testing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The wound. You, you like apples? Rubber. Co- what? Do you like apples? Do I like apples? Yeah. yeah. I had a cosmic crisp. Yeah, I saw your thing. Oh, you found one today? I had it the other day. Yeah, I saw your thing. Why, why are you asking? Is this an ad for cosmic crisp or something? <laughs> I'm You're, thinking is about Is this how I'm you trying, warm up the show? I'm trying to. 
get get in with costumes. Um, clearly, yeah. Well, that's um, <laughs> you gotta try one of those. Things. I will. Um, you know, my ultimate test on those is I will. I will get one. I haven't seen one around here, and take them out to one of the the horses at Santa Anita and see how they like them. I feed do, apples to the horses, so. Do they like Honey Crisp? They love Honey Crisp. They also like the Pink Lady. Uh, big big fans of the of both of those. Not every horse, but most love the uh, the Honey Crisp. Yeah. Yes, it's it's a rival. The honey. It's crisp. the most popular with thoroughbreds. Really? And I'm not joking. Yeah. <laughs> the trainers will tell you that. That's uh, the Santa Anita. You wrote yeah, that article. Yeah, Santa Anita. Yeah. This uh, it's cool. I, I that article. I didn't realize that like every single racehorse races at Santa Anita. You mean over through the yeah. history of the? Yeah, basically since Seabiscuit, and in every great horse uh, has been there. Yeah, it's an amazing place historically, and uh, used to get seventy five thousand for on a Saturday kind of thing. It's it's and it's a it's just a beautiful place. Yeah, right. And and, and the there. original track was on. The site of Santa Anita Golf Course, which almost nobody knows, including at the the racetrack. Um, so that was a really fun part for Tommy and I to start piecing together where the actual finish line was and all that. It's kind of crazy. The perfect uh, perfect Redan Hall is a is a turn in a in a horse track. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a lovely Redan. It's a uh, you know Kukuya approach kind of kills some things, but still a fun shot to hit. Yeah. So uh, big news. Distance insight yeah. report didn't disappoint. I don't think so. It disappointed some people. Apparently, You're, you've been reading the social stuff today. I've, I've been, actually I've been, been reading the more. report while you've been driving <laughs> around my fair city and and finding a nice place to stay. So, yeah, I think it's a, a really interesting document. I'm about sixty pages in of the hundred and two, and um, the summary though was was particularly interesting in the the strength of the language i thought yeah so you what, 15 years ago you wrote the future of golf yeah uh, yeah i mean i started writing a lot of those pieces uh early around 2000 2001 then they all kind of got put together and i added new ones for that book yeah and it's got to be at least somewhat vindicated granted way too late a lot of the things you were talking about in that book have come yeah. now where everybody's saying Hey, this is a problem now. Yeah, it is. Especially, you know, when I think of a lot of the people who uh, sort of poo-pooed all these ideas or it's not a problem or we're growing the game. Uh, you can't have a local rule and a competition ball and dumb things like that. Oh, well, here we are in the, in the statement laying the groundwork essentially for a competition ball via a, a local rule. So those things are fun to see how they've evolved in their thinking. It took way too long and it will take way too long to, to implement that, but it's something. Yeah. The, uh, the implementation process seems like it's going to be a, a lengthy one. I mean, yeah. a year to set parameters now. Well, yeah, we'll have the, we'll have the, uh, 45 days and we have the nine to 12 months. And then there's probably going to be a year of, of whining about how difficult it will be to retool machines or whatever it is that, is determined to be the best remedy. And then we have to have some sort of transition period. Um, I have a theory that uh, I mentioned to, to Kyle Porter on uh, his podcast today that the there's a possibility with this local rule that, and I have to read up more on sort of the dynamics of local rules and ask a few true rules experts, that it th this will just get circumvented, that that somebody will just say, well, we're just going to 
do the local rule part now, and and then they're going to hope somebody makes the ball or a ball that knocks a certain something off that fits their golf course, and which is what I wrote about in the future of golf. I always thought a Pine Valley, a Cypress Point, an elite golf course, just like Sauce Spikes. You know, Riviera was really the place by necessity because I was there and playing golf there at the time, and I was at the horrible 95 PGA when the greens went bad, and Riviera became one of the, you know, two or three places where the people making Sauce Spikes said, hey, it's okay for Riviera. Why are they bad for you? And look where we are now. Spikes are essentially gone except for elite professional golfers. And I could see the same influence that those great clubs have where it's it's one of those name brand places that sets things in motion. And then, and then the influencers of the world in that world um, say, gosh, we, we, we played a few, we played one set of tees up and we played faster. It was a better day. It was no, it, we, we didn't feel like we lost something. We might've even gained some things and, it, and that's what it'll take. And, and I think it could happen to, uh, again, sort of circumvent this timeline that they've laid out. Yeah. That'll be the interesting thing. I, I, and I think then there's the, the flip side where there's always a fear of the PGA Tour saying, well, we're not going to play by these rules and we're just going to create our own. But I don't think that would happen. I don't know. Um, that's the trick. The one thing that's interesting that I sense is, is there's, there has been a change in players' attitude towards this. Again, 15 years ago, no player other than Jack Nicklaus and a handful of old guys felt this way. Even Tiger and Phil, they've come to their stances more recently. I think Tiger I, you know, less recently than Phil, but Phil has yeah. you know, dabbled in, in understanding the skill part of this. And, and if he reads this report, he'll see some things in there, as will in Adam Scott, as will those people who are really good ball strikers uh, that feel like they're getting shorted a little by equipment compensating uh, for deficiencies in other people's games. Yeah, the uh, I found an article uh, months ago with Tiger in 2000 talking about the where it was going, and Frank Thomas, the then exec or the techno head of technology for the USJ, was like, "Oh, it can't go any further than they are going now." Yeah, which was like that was like to uh, me the kind of smoking gun, and I think it's important to uh, clarify. I think where most people's issues with rolling back a ball or going something with a decreased yardage as they say, well, I'm going to be affected. So yes. I, this is bad because I need every yard I can get. And that's an extremely important point is that where the majority of these gains are happening is for somebody that swings it over 110 miles an hour. Yeah. And if you're swinging at 110, you're usually going to be around a scratch player. So, you know, in terms of loss, that was one of the things that I found most interesting in the distance report from last year when I looked at when I read through it was that, you know, LPGA since that since the invention of the Pro V one gained three or four yards mm. and then the web had gained about twenty. You know? And that that's where all the gains are happening and LPGA is much more indicative of the general public golf swing speed. There's a line on page thirty one of the report, uh, and I just again I'm halfway through it. Uh, an increase in coefficient of restitution will yield a greater increase in distance for golfers with a higher club head speed than for those with a lower club head speed. 
and they just they just come right out and say it and make the case in a few of their graphs and different things about that. And it's it's a hard one for them to make, as you can imagine, because like you've noticed, people take it personally. Uh, they selfishly think that they've gained the same thing that Dustin Johnson and uh, Brooks Kepka have gained with modern equipment. And so they have to make that case, but then they also can't be calling the manufacturers uh, uh, liars. You know, they have to be careful on that front too. So it's a tricky case for them to make they probably need people like us to make it uh, more than uh, than others and then they also and it's not people are struggling with it today i've noticed they're they're mentioning this t thing that the people don't play the right t's enough they play t's too long which is sort of a subtle way of saying you're not as you, you really haven't gotten the gains you think you've gotten um i don't know if that's that important of a case to make in this do you i i don't think so because People are always good. If you took yeah, 20%, they're exactly. always going to play the wrong thing. They are. Like, <laughs> always. And women are worse than men often. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're incredible. And they fight architects sometimes when you want to shorten their course. I mean, it's, so it's, it's male, female. It's just, it's just I how mean, golfers are. It's like, a, you know, the, the senior, senior men. Seniors too. Yeah. Like really struggle with moving. <laughs> I, re- I remember playing golf with my grandpa the first day he moved up to, he basically moved up to the forward tee box. Yeah. He was like 78 at the time. He was always a good player, but like he, you know, then he was hitting three greens around playing right. the regular tees. He moves up to the forward tees. He hits 14 greens first yeah. first round out. Shoots like 75, and he was like, he was like, that was the most fun I've had on the golf course in 10 years, and I'm never going back and playing. Yeah. You know, back again. I'm playing up here forever. Yeah, and it's it, it just I, you know. I know where I want to play from, and it's like seven thousand yards. But like that's a different. But like if I if I hit it, if I played with a a persimmon driver, I want to play like sixty five hundred. Right. You know, it's I don't want to. You know, getting beat up is, and that's the thing I think with everything is like I don't know if people are going to get worse at golf if you if you reverse everything to the to the smaller head and wound ball, spinny ball. I don't think people would be worse. I think they'd almost be better in a way because their foul balls wouldn't be as dra- dramatically out of the ballpark. I get no sense from what I've read so far that they're going to go after the size of the driver head. In fact, they make the case um, that it, it really has not had maybe the influence that some of us think it has, um, but they do get into – um, Cor and the and the, the the club head and the face more than anything on that. And there's some really, I mean, this is the di- the report is very well put together. Um, but so far, obviously, uh, where I'm at, it's pretty clear that that the the face of the driver and the aerodynamics of the ball and the dimple pattern of the ball are the things that really stand out in their writings as things that they see as 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 giving those elite players huge ad- jumps in distance versus the rest of us um so it's really easy to read this and imagine just changing the dimple pattern of the ball alone they you almost sense would be enough but not quite um so it's an interesting case they make you know early on you, you see it building towards the golf ball yeah, yeah. I I think the driver head, in my just personal opinion, 
the the size of it allows you to just lash at it. Well, and, and that's I, I agree. The, that's the but aspect of that. They get into a little bit here again because this is so well done. But it's they're not seeing the numbers that back up that it it increases uh, that there's an increase in clubhead speed thanks to that size. Again, I'm not done with it, but that that to me was interesting because I kind of. I really expected a little bit more focus on that, but they have so much great research on other things that it, it starts to become apparent that that was uh, not that important. And very hard to measure, by the way, too. How do you measure that? Um, the other thing that's a real interesting killer in here is you, they're not seeing uh, – there, are, there aren't great numbers to back up that launch monitors have really m- made a huge difference on distance. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting thing. It's very and they're I, very recent too. I, I historically compared to other things. To me, it's changed the way the technique of the golf oh, swings changed so much. No question. I mean, it's changed a lot of things. But in terms of what they're looking at, distance, uh, the actual pure numbers, there's not a huge correlation between that and a big jump. So when they're they're talking about dimple patterns, yeah, is that to Changing the dimple patterns to make it less aerodynamic. Yeah. It, and that would probably create more spin also. Correct. Those are the two things. There it is. Aerodynamics and, and lower spin rate right there. I wrote down. I mean, it. it so they it, have very good data on that. So that's where it's kind of centering around is, is bringing back spin and less distance. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I mean, a tremendous change. And then that, and that will then probably bleed down to that idea of that player being able to 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 swing more freely suddenly thinking about it a little bit more maybe yeah if the if the ball spins more you're not going to be able to swing as hard of it at it without or your miss is going to be yeah more violent which is what we've lost and not that i want to bring back the the violent miss for most of us but you see it in today's players they just don't play in fear of of some of the misses that people used to play in fear of i think the violent miss for the regular golfers changed where yes. now the violent miss is just straight blocks. Yes, it's a block instead of a duck hook. Instead yeah. of a duck hook or a Which or a is a wonderful slice. thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean the block goes so far. The duck hook is really it's just it was it's such a vile thing. It's just oh. so vile. It's like it's worse than a shank in a lot of ways if you ever lived through that time. It's like it would just come out of nowhere sometimes. It was so awful. <laughs> I was texting with some buddies last night about this and uh my, I, I said to him, I said, you know, I want my kids when they're standing on a tee at a high school match to just, you know, that first tee to just be <laughs> terrified of the hundred yard duck. That's so mean of you. That's so awful. No, I mean, it was no. a part, it was a core part of my childhood. And it did make you a stronger person. There's no question. It humbles you. You know, that's one thing we wonder, and they don't address that in this report, but there has been a, a, a change in how Elite players are humbled by the game. They're less humbled by it. It just doesn't happen as much. I mean, I can't remember the last time I hit like just a cold duck hook. No, off the jo- Jordan Spieth hit one last year at Riviera. Adam and- Scott did one at the Presidents Cup. Oh, really? First tee. Oh, yes, yes, that one off the first tee. That was <laughs> awful. And that that was with an iron, though, right? Or was it a? It was awful. Yeah, that was one of the rare duck hooks you'll see. Especially amazing for him. But Spieth hit one off thirteen last year. And I turned to somebody and said, that's the first time I've seen one of those quackers like that. I mean, low and, and a hook, you know, a smother low hook. 
Um, and it it and he was it took a few holes. He it shook him. He made par, by the way. Well, the next the thing that happens <laughs> but, after the the snap hook is oh, that you're guaranteed to hit one yeah, away you right. Just shove it, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, they don't address any of these dynamics. Um, and how can you? There's no way. But they address a lot. It's really well done. Uh, so one of the things from the uh, summary that I found most impactful and the thing that I didn't I was really impressed that they were thinking of is here's the the passage for a course of say 6,000 to 6,500 yards the issue is not about hosting elite male events but about potentially losing the ability to attract and keep golfers who may come to perceive the course as too short from the longest tees even if not widely known or used for premier uh tournaments such courses can be highly valued by local golfers and communities and are at risk of increased hitting distances and i think this is spot on like i think of all the great like accessible cheap golden age golf courses and the number one complaint and the where they lose business is to the championship course down down the street and this to me is the biggest thing because all of a sudden smaller courses become the real golf course instead of like, Oh, like nobody's going to go play the 7,200 yard course. If they're, you know, losing and all of a sudden 6,500 yards is a great test again. And from the sustainability standpoint, I mean, that's the, I mean, kind of the big thing is where the game it's just affordable, you know, less inputs. Uh, I mean, with the environmental stuff going on, it, it all of a sudden makes golf, a little bit more with the times. It was an interesting kind of surprising thing for them to make. And you watch, there'll be some people who go, oh, we have a, we have a championship course and, and now you're going to make us uh, obsolete by, by reducing distance. And of course you, then you want to say, uh, well, then you can just play up. It's easy to play up. <laughs> it's hard to go back. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because we all know of those places that have struggled to get funding or get, uh, traction that need it because people look at that scorecard yardage and go, well, it's, it's, it's outdated. It's too short. And that's just so bad for the game. Uh, so I thought them taking on a little bit of that business perspective of the course owner who has this place that's outdated, uh, which you could say the same, you know, the, the, for the place that's 5,900, uh, that's really off people's radar now. Um, I thought that was fantastic. One of the interesting things, so on that point, and I, I need to read this a little bit more because this is a, a just a shocking thing to me that based on their computations, um, 100 yards of additional course length corresponds to eight additional acres of total footprint. And 0.7 additional acres of fairway. Each of these has cost implications. Eight acres, just 100 yards more on a golf course to them is, is eight acres. I, I find that I'm struggling with that number, but, I mean, they, these, these are well thought out, and it's part of a, a bigger case. But that's an amazing number. And, and you probably could piece uh, or pick a course apart shorten it look at the footprint and say okay go design a course thinking 6300 yards instead of 7300 on this property and you probably would find that you don't need uh well that you you don't need an uh, another 20 30 acres 
at yeah. least. Um, and, that, and, and that's probably fudging it where you're really making the fairways wide and using the land as much as you want. And that's something that's been so hard to convey to people. And it's, for instance, back to Tiger. Where did Tiger come around on this? I have no doubt. Obviously, one, it was, it was seeing certain people and the way the game was played being elevated by equipment. But I, I have no doubt it really came from sitting and working with his architects and, and looking at a piece of property and finding out the things you couldn't do, you know, where you say, oh, that's going to be a great short par, par, par five. And they say, well, Tiger, it's going to be 480. It has to be a par four. Uh, and once you go through that exercise, it really annoys you that you know what great holes are being lost and what fun is being lost in this effort to for a developer and to check off all these boxes to make a course work. Yeah, the the other thing is from a perspective of like, you know, think about iconic championship course, Marion, 120 acre, 105 really, probably with the, just the golf course versus Aaron Hills, 600 acres. Yeah, two and a half, 2.2 miles. 2.2 miles from <laughs> clubhouse to 16T. And, and, and you think about that, just that land use. Yeah. It's just a, you know, it, and it, I think the important thing is that Wider course, we're not talking about, we're talking about just pure land use. It, yeah. You know, it's like that eight acres per 100 yards is incredible, you know? Yeah. And then all the all the costs of, of moving vehicles around that bigger footprint. I mean, they get into some of those things and clearly had great cooperation from the GCSA and um, the ASGCA. And, and they both issued statements backing up this report today. So they they have an incredible information in here for the people wanting to know the actual costs of expanding the the footprint of golf. The Ian Andrew had always I saw him on Twitter always banging the drum of like with how far the ball is going, it's impossible to make a course even safe. Oh yes, uh, yeah, and I don't I haven't seen anything yet on safety, but absolutely, it's a huge problem. And that's the other thing is like where you see tree plantings and stuff that a lot of times you're like, why is this tree here? It's like, oh, there's a tee over there. It's to stop, you know, and there are oh, yeah. just like little things like that. And I saw I saw somebody else that said that their club spends, you know, 20 grand per new tee box. All right. And you're talking about, oh, OK, like it's only courses with championship aspirations. It's not necessarily. I know a course in Chicago, you know, that is a Western Am, you know, one one time host of the Western Am. They're thinking about building like three or four new tee boxes. That's that's almost a hundred grand right yeah. there. Yeah. And and these costs get passed on. And that's obviously a private club. They get passed on the membership. But when you start going around to public golf courses that feel like they need, hey, we need seven thousand yards, so they start adding tee boxes, those costs get passed on directly to the consumer, you know? They do. And then if liability insurance is going up, uh, that's that's a if you talk to somebody like Dana Garmany, who, who was the CEO, longtime CEO of Troon, um, they have issues with, with insurance and neighbors that they didn't used to have when the course was created. Uh, but a housing development golf course, suddenly homes that weren't getting golf balls are getting home, uh, balls. Um, corners of dog legs suddenly are, are, have changed. And then um, safety is a huge, huge issue. Um, so I don't see much yet in the report, but I, I haven't gotten in the last half, but that is something that with driving ranges, it's been a problem. Um, driving you know, range is a huge problem. Yeah. And, yeah. and how many places have, have expanded their range and changed compromise holes just to 
keep their because people do want to hit driver at the range. Um, but think again at the, the 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 change you have to make in terms of space. It, by the way, Tory Pines last week uh, or whenever that was. Now it's uh, almost two weeks, but they. <laughs> Something I've never seen before there at the driving range on the main tee. They had a little one of those little uh, uh, nettings uh, about three and a half feet high in front of the tee because there's a tee at the other end of the range and the balls to stop the balls from running up on the tee where the where the players are hitting balls. Never seen that before at Torrey Pines. First time ever. It's it's great. I mean, I think about there's a range that I've gone to my whole life double-sided and after college you know on like if i really was hitting it good downwind i could get to the other side it would, i could roll balls up and now you know i'm not i'm in worse shape right I play less you know yeah and i'm like i can hit it up out of that range all the time and this is after the said you know this ball's not gonna right. go further we've these reached are, the limit these are the limits have been reached but it's still Ball keeps going further, yeah. and that you know, and people can say, "Oh, that's just your personal." But like, eh, I think it's around everybody. You know, yeah. you're seeing you're seeing senior tour guys hit it further than they've ever hit it in their career. Oh yeah, and it mean, uh, and, and so it it'll be. I mean, what what legitimately you know you alluded to possibly a club clubs taking the taking the lead. I I think everything points to Augusta National. Yeah, I mean, I, David Normoyle has always said, "Why, why can't we have a St. Andrews ball? That should be the that should be the place you use." Um, and the RNA has really changed their stance under Martin Slumbers, and even from the beginning of Martin's uh, tenure to today, um, they've changed because Martin has is a really smart man and has an open mind. Um, his predecessor did not, uh, and so it's been fun for me to watch. Uh, his tone change on this topic, and you know, to me, St. Andrews is the thing that should be used as the to, as as how we gauge, so that we don't have tees on other golf courses there. But as you say, ultimately, the one that has the influence on this is Augusta National, and uh, will they? Uh, will they? What will they do? And you know, this timing that we're looking at, they just don't want to make a Masters ball, even though it'd probably be the it would. <laughs> It would sell. Oh my gosh, they'd sell a lot of them. Um, they could they could become probably the the dominant golf golf ball brand for like classic golf courses. Immediately, yeah, they could do it immediately. Whoever does it first will could has a chance to be the one if they do it right. They package it right. The aerodynamics and everything are done right, so it plays like a good ball. It just it just doesn't ha- you know it's not a it doesn't have that driving range limited flight ball. And it doesn't going. have the lack of durability like yeah. the old Bellatus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I, I know they can all do this, and they've already probably all done it. Um, but I don't get, and I've never gotten why there isn't that one company that just says, you know, history shows if you're the first and you do it right, for the most part, you are the one that becomes the leader in the categories. You know, app, the people at Apple would say otherwise, that they tend to wait watch what people do, and then they refine it. And, and I could certainly see somebody like Titleist not wanting to be the first, but, but, but already having the patents and figured it out and coming in and being the one. But Augusta has that ability, and I, I, 
Uh, I mean, I just know they don't want to add a, a, any length to 13. I just know it. You can see it. It'll be ugly. It'll look wrong. And it's just obnoxious to have to do it uh, to them. But uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky spot that they're in. Yeah, Ridley's comments last year oh, make, I mean, a, make a lot we know more where he sense. Stands. Yeah, yeah, and and I think in terms of and, and by the way, another person who's since I wrote the future of golf has has his position has evolved. When he was a USGA president, this was not something he wanted. To, he was open about. I don't believe so. So that and I'm saying that as a compliment. Yeah, I mean, good for him for for coming around. And, but again, somebody who once he had control of the championship committee and dealt with these things and now is the chairman there it it you know he's he knows this issue really well i mean something had to give <laughs> i mean we saw what they shoot 27 under at medina last year yeah that got a lot of people's attention i think that was especially because everybody who was there said the rough was insane yeah it was thick it was insane and and but they just made mincemeat of medina one of the hardest places on the planet and they just they just ate it up Hideki and I know shot it's two, soft, but Hideki shot two sixty threes. Yeah. The course record broken three straight days. It's just nuts. It's, it's just, n- you um, know. I think that that there's uh, the last year. I think was really kind of pivotal because we saw, and something that will be compelling to watch is the impact. So, I did a podcast with this guy, Ian Fillmore. He's an economist, PhD from University of Chicago. He studied rackets and uh, and yes. tennis, and how it led to this three, two to two to four generations where it basically flips everything on its head. And you can see it because the era of players that had to switch equipment, like early in their career, or like you know, for me, example in high school, my era of say six years around my age right three on each side there are no top 20 players of all time Hmm. they're either older they're phil's age and tiger or they're younger Hmm. okay so that era we had to re so what do you conclude we basically had to relearn so Ah. if they if they flip this and the ball starts spinning more goes shorter we could see a similar uh, impact where all of a sudden the players that are say in high school now are disadvantaged because players younger than them are not having to relearn how to play the game. Right. You know, and that, that's the kind of compelling thing to watch is how, if, if this gets put into place, say in the next five years, how it impacts who the best players in the world are. Yeah. I'm not buying at all, uh, the arguments that have been floated. And I, I finally, I just, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't stand reading it any longer that, that we can't make this change because we will we will just send a group of young players adrift and they will never be able to recover from the this this horror, um, which is just it's just nuts. I mean, nobody's proposing a change that is so drastic. I sense now the driver head size. If that changed substantially, obviously that would have a huge impact. We saw that with the European Tour video, right? Right, and that Lucas Herbert, Mike Clayton video. Uh, every time we've seen it, where you put that smaller head, yeah. And so, even those who who want to see a driver head change, nobody's talked about going, knocking 150 cc's off the thing. It's it's probably 75. It's it's not just a, just a little bit. 
Um, you just love to see it. I just love to see the results. Uh, but nobody wants to go to the trouble to make those things. And I mean, Taylor made has a two wood, and I know Tiger tested it. Um, but there's some interesting things on that too that I don't think it made a whole bit a lot of difference. Um, but to your point about players, um, I, I I just think people can adjust faster than than a lot of. I think it's an excuse. It's it's we're reaching desperation level stages of excuses to not act, and we're going to hear a lot of crazy ones in the next uh, year. But if you follow this at any length of time, you've heard most of them already. I mean, the, the one thing like I started skimming in the report about the agronomy stuff, which they had to give, they have to give time to. But I, I just get bored with. The, it's the agronomy. It's the role. I mean, it's just it's just so shallow. The golf courses have never been more lush. Uh, and if you watch old videos, the ball used to roll forever. Yeah. Um, so, and it's just it's a hard thing to decipher. They tried. It's just not the – everybody carries the ball now so far. It's just don't give me the roll argument. Um, but I, I think players will be able to adjust. And to your point, and I, and I started trying to – research this but i think what's really interesting about tiger and phil in your example is that i believe there's a case and in this report also starts to highlight that that no two all-time great players have faced bigger changes from the start of their career to where they are now in equipment and remained well first of all nobody's ever they've never their careers are unique in that way right there and then they've remained relevant with the changes. And that's an amazing uh, statement about how talented they are. Because you, you go through Nicholas, you go through every great player. Bobby Jones retired when steel shafts started to become a thing. I mean, he played them, but um, wasn't a, wasn't, it wasn't like he had to adapt to them right in the middle of his incredible run. Um, so I can't – if somebody – maybe there's somebody – in the uh, the Haskell era, but I, I I don't know of anybody who's done what they've done. Yeah, I I mean Tiger. I mean Tiger started with persimmon and heavy steel shafts, and he still plays blade irons, obviously. But again, the the grips, the 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 shafts, everything. I mean Davis Love when he won his first time was playing a persimmon driver. Correct. He might be one other player in that league who, and he also held on very yeah, long. He held on really long yeah. to the persimmon, but. When Tiger beat him in the at Vegas, right. Love was playing the, the the persimmon. You know, Tiger. And that was the last PGA Tour win with persimmon, right? Uh, I believe. I think, might have been ninety seven. There was. A I win. believe it was. I don't know. Tom Kite might have won with. Well, yeah. I, I want to say the last holdouts was holdout was Mac O'Grady. Well, that's play, yeah. He, he does it. Play, he he does playing, it for different reasons. He was playing the persimmon in two thousand. <laughs> What do you mean? No, no, he he still plays. Um, last few years, uh, I don't know about last year. I, I don't I don't remember seeing his name. But in recent years, he's been playing LA Open qualifying, and maybe even local U.S. Open qualifying with with the old clubs. What a legend! Oh man, what a what a! I took less took two lessons from him. Uh, three actually. The third one, we were doing the work at LA Country Club, and I went back. He was working with some members. And, uh, yeah, I've been out there. I had my, my boots on. I was out painting lines on bunkers. And he goes, I, I, I want to see you hit a few. I go, Mac, I've been going all day. I don't play much anymore. No, no, I want to see <laughs> he wanted, he, he wanted He wanted to work with me. Um, he was great to me. Uh, uh, he's, a, he's an amazing 
mind. I just wish uh, I, I wish we could get more out of him. Uh, he has a lot of interesting thoughts on the game, but um, I know his wife. I'm, I I don't know has been doing as well. I don't know why he's been very. I mean, he's always been a mysterious figure, but mm-hmm. but but he would be another one. I don't know. He might take some odd odd stances on this, uh, but he is somebody who's passionate about that era of equipment. Um, so it's it's uh, it's going to be fun to watch how players react. I think. But to, we started to talk about earlier. I think a lot of players. Nice fried egg socks, by the way. Yeah, is that, are those in the shop or are no? Those? No, these okay. are just people buy me TJ Maxx egg. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. people. Um, if, if somebody sees fried egg socks, they buy them for me. Yeah, that's know? nice. That's nice. But I think it's going to be fun to watch. The player reaction, because I've seen a change in in the last 10, 12 years, but especially in the last two or three, where guys are no longer just, oh, no, we're great athletes. you got to let this happen. This is this is just the natural evolution of the game. I don't I don't hear those arguments as much anymore. I see more and more players troubled by it. And sometimes it's just slow play. Sometimes you, you take them through the way at Riviera – the round is now a half hour longer because of three holes, that kind of thing. And they're like, yeah, that's ridiculous. We don't need, and no, and we don't yeah, need, we don't explain, need the 10th hole to explain, be a part three. Explain this. Cause I don't think people fully understand the slow play aspect of it, especially in the PG on the PGA. Sure. Tour. Yeah. They always blame field size, which will be fun here at Riviera this year because we're reducing the field. And, uh, I don't know if we'll see the rounds get much faster, but I've been going to Los Angeles open there. Uh, I mean, the first picture of me is in 1974 there, so I don't really remember that one too well. Uh, good year, though, uh, Sam Snead and Dave Stockton. Um, but since I've been going early 80s and can remember stuff, everything had been about the same. And, you know, 17, the par 5, was generally reachable by one or two guys in each era. Weisskopf, then John Daly, Tom Lehman got home in two a couple times, couples a few times. Um and it was it was a big deal when somebody got home in two there. But every generation, a, uh, there was a guy who could do it. They've lengthened the hole, um, and now seventeen and probably a third to half the field can get home in two. The eleventh hole, again, a hole that was a stout par five at five sixty. That one now is reachable by just about everybody. People in the field. don't even hit driver because they can hit it in the it, downwind. Correct. A uh, couple of guys probably think about, uh oh, that's that's I got to lay back which is unbelievable as somebody who's played that. I mean, that we used to worry about that from the white tee. They've lengthened the hole a little bit, and they've lowered the tee, <laughs> all this other stuff. So those two holes, which went from being two of the most you know, stout uh, par fives on the tour. And you think about the number of groups you could have on a par five. Correct. If it's a two-shot hole versus a three-shot hole. And all it takes is one guy in a group, and, and they play threesomes on the West Coast swing to make everybody wait. So those two holes have added the wait times there are 15 minutes each, sometimes 10. So let's say 10 each. Uh, Now the 10th hole has become a par three. Uh, Almost every player in the field can reach it with a driver. Some guys hit three wood and can reach it. Some guys are hitting iron. Uh, Some guys are hitting something. Champ hits iron. Yeah, well, that's just, he's a freak. Um, (laughs) But that's where. But but Tiger was a freak 20 years ago. Right, right. And that's the reality is Tiger was a freak, and now there's 40 Tigers. Right. If you look at, watch college golf, they're longer than the pros. Correct, yeah. There there are more Cameron Champs coming. Coming, yeah. Um, So that's a par three. So the entire field waits. You'll get sometimes two groups on that hole. 
So you can get up. That adds 20 minutes. That's a solid. The way they play the 10th hole, uh, the way they wait, everything about it, solid 20 minutes that's added to the round there. So there, so there's 30 to 40 minutes have been added to the round on those three holes, all because more players can hit shots that force waiting. So in turn, that event, you know, they could never get in darkness. Always, always darkness shortened right. round after darkness shortened round. And now we see instead of being one of the premier open events, it's a small invitational. Field. Right. So since 1926, it's been an open. In the in the late 20s, they played 156 players, and a lot of those people were not very good. Uh, hickories and beginning of steel shafts at Riviera which was really hard when it opened. Bobby Jones lamented that it was too hard. Um, there's a famous story that, you know, who knows if it's true, it's Walter Hagen, but a, he had a kid light newspapers on fire to be able to finish. So they were having trouble finishing then, but that was in January when the days are half hour, 45 minutes shorter, 156 players on a brutal golf course then, and they were able to finish. Now we're down to 120 trying to get around. So we've lost a couple qualifying spots. I think they could have found a way to retain them, but that's a whole other political issue. But the point is, the view has been the field size is why you can't, why you needed to do this to make the tournament work. And they may be right, but those holes that where we've added those weights, those weights are still going to be there this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're right. Tenth is a par three. Everybody hits it. It's unbelievable to look at the shot link patterns from oh, 2006 to yeah, today. Depressing. Yeah. It's it, yeah. it went from somewhere littered with choice to one dimensional. Hit it here, hit it there. It's going to be kind of freakish this year because uh, Andy, you're here today on one of the coldest days we've had. We're going to have really cold nights the next few days, uh, and that poet is just going to be shut down. It's going to. Be, and I don't think we're going to have any rain. It's going to be so fast and so firm. Uh, the greens. It's been very borderline the last few years in terms of freakishness because they took the collars down and and the balls just can run out. anyway it's going to be very interesting now the it's supposed to be pretty cold next week so they may not hit it as far but there's going to be some major going back and forth and it, it it's just that hole's getting kind of freakish it's getting it's it's getting away from what it was supposed to be yeah yeah anyway. I mean, the sand build up too from all well that. they took some of that down which okay. is what's made it more extreme uh in the last 10 years really more yeah. extreme yeah i mean when i played there the the bunkers had come up and then the the bunker edge and the collar came up a little bit so they stopped balls it wasn't a bowl effect but it it kept you from kind of going back and forth and now they've taken those down mow them tight they stopped rolling them the last two years it got a little silly with the rolling and so it's now a crowned effect on the on the last half of the green and that's why the players i think have kind of gotten to the point where they I mean, I had a really fun argument with Jordan Spieth last year on the Tuesday practice round. There was nobody out there. I happened to be walking by, and then he 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 saw me watching him hit a wedge in, and uh, he hit it about a foot. He laid up perfectly, hit it a foot, and he goes, "What would you do here?" And I said, "Well, I'd, I'd do what you just did here and lay up every time." And he went, "No." Nah. <laughs> and then he went up to the little bottle brush trees and started dropping shots and hitting these shots for the tee shot to drive it. And so I walked up there, and after about like the fourth one, and I our fifth one, and Cameron McCormick was there. There's nobody else around, and I go, uh, let me ask you something. Why do you do this? Why do you bring Why do you bring five or six into a into play? And he had a good rationale, as a lot of guys do. Like, well, I don't. 
if I lay up, there's there's going to be the possibility of bringing that number in with a bad wedge shot or or whatever. And I'm like, well, you just hit one a foot. Um, <laughs> you're really good with a wedge, but it's a mentality that's sort of born out of the way they change the green. That that they'd rather just be up there with something with some loft or a bump and run under the trees than they would hitting it from the perfect layup spot. And part of it is the green, and then part of it is kind of the deterioration of of wedge play from from 110 to 70 60 yards by the modern tour player they're just not as good and part of it may be the ball i think Um, the wedges have become harder to hit because of the ball there's less spin there's less spin control yeah and they're just not as good as they used to be whether it's i don't think it's from lack of practice or skill it's just it's a tougher shot to play than you i mean literally how many guys can you name you'd like to drop from 100 yards and and you know they're going to be amazing. I mean, it's like Zach Johnson, Stricker. Phil Spieth, Stricker. Uh, well, so that's funny. about it. Oh, and Tiger. I was talking. Yeah. Uh, Zach has always told me that whenever he plays with Bellatos, he's like, God, it's just so much easier to hit wedges. I wish yeah. I could just replace, put these balls down in mm. tournaments to hit wedges with them because yeah. of how like how much control he's got over flight and and spin yeah. versus the you know the standard. And and I think that's one of the things that gets lost is like, okay, so. You're, the ball's not going to go as far, but it should introduce, if it's spinning more and going less, it should introduce more interest in the game, like just overall all shot making. If somebody, we saw Tiger do it at, at Royal Melbourne where he was the only one moving the ball. Yeah. And sure enough, the most dominant player in the field. Yeah. And I think that's the stuff that we've lost that's going to come back if, if we get, if I we, agree. whenever we get to this point. And that's the mystery of the PGA Tours position. Um, and it exposes how little a lot of the people actually just go out and watch golf because they went out and watched golf and you want to hear oohs and ahs from people. You, you actually at a tournament literally hear gaffs or oohs and ahs when a player controls and spins a ball, hits a great recovery shot, shapes the ball. When Bubba, is on and he's doing what he does and you know he starts one over your heads and people just go nuts because it's so cool i mean i mean for me it was ray floyd and bruce litsky watching them just hit these things that went out and moved and trevino is so cool and people admire control those are the shots those controlled shots the recovery shots the spin spin from crazy places towering long irons even and then yes and then occasionally when people see a a hard shot they they recognize that and then we saw Kapalua this year those balls that just got on the green on 18 and 2 that was rewarding to watch that was cool and so this idea that that drives and wedges and and power resonate if if you go to a tournament you just know what people they react more to those things because that's where the great player you go Oh my gosh, they have things, they have skills I can't comprehend. And that's that's beautiful. We want that. And they just they're it's like they're oblivious to that. Well, it's the the idea if you think about the most iconic sport moments, moments in sport. It's it's athletes overcoming obstacles and challenges. And when you you know, and this is really what the USGA I couldn't believe when I we got I got that the summary laid out just so it's like we believe that you know we're losing skill essentially yeah we're losing the channel the essence of the game and i could i couldn't agree more from a personal standpoint like you know if if you go play a 6800 yard course and you hit it moderately long it's a driver wedge fest and it's like okay i i didn't hit any iron more than a seven iron unless it was on a tee right you know and that that's become 
the PGA Tour, and and you could see it in their social strategy is all about distance, all about distance. Everything. But like, yeah. that's that's the least interesting shot. And the the thing is, when you watch a ball take off, you have no clue how far the ball is actually going. Regard like nobody know. knows how far the ball's going. I would love to do a focus group where where you take a Dustin Johnson, you have him hit, you know, ten balls. And and five of them are with a limited flight ball, and he hits it two ninety five, and then the other ones are three thirty. I really wonder how much people would be able to tell the difference first, and what would be the reward of that. the The much more fun thing is the fan is the next shot where you see him get there in two, and the ball just trickles. I mean, the most amazing shot I saw all of last year, and I talked about it a little bit with Joe Lacava. I was trying to see if there was something to Tiger's player because Tiger had an amazing little run after the rain delay on Saturday and it was just the coolest afternoon the people were just going nuts to see him do what he did and there was a shot on 11 he got home in two it was late light pin was in the front right goofy little hard pin even get close to with a with a wedge and he just hit this beautiful fairway wood I think it was the five wood cut it it went high intentionally tried to hit it high to just get it to land soft it was just such an incredible shot and the people who were there were just, you know, yeah, he made great putts. He made five birdies in a row. But it was that where people just just were, you know, looking at each other and talking about it. And we're talking about the tee shot. Uh, and so that's the stuff where you just, you, you it's, uh, and now we have the technology and television with, with, with uh, Tracer, different camera angles, shot link, uh, to, to tell those stories even better. But still, ultimately, people see it, you know, at Augusta. What's what what gets people going? Not the the three hundred yard drive on eleven. It's the incredible shot in, or uh, the, or the getting, just getting up and down from way right of ten. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, just, when the ball is moving on the well, ground, and then there, it's of course when the ball lands and feeds. That's the greatest moment at the Masters, and the ball barely moves now, t to fringe there because the way they mow the grass. It's amazing what that does. I mean, that place would be. It would get so hard if they could just mow the fairways the old way and take 30 yards off the drives because the ball would be running again. Um, it would be it would it would it would be such right, a test of skill again. Say if you did it based off percentage, and we're going to say with this percentage, if you don't swing at 110 miles an hour, you're not seeing much of a reduction. Right. So like this Always. is the important probably thing. none. So if you hit it 250, you're probably going to hit it 247. Yeah. Okay. But if you say say at the professional level, what percentage would you would like to see, you know, knocked you off? That, what do you think is the right percent? It seems like it's about it's somewhere like six to eight percent. It seems like to me, ten ten starts to get, again, depending on how you're doing it and what you're and how you're attacking the the knockoff. But from an architecture point of view, I mean, ten percent would be amazing. That would be, but it might be a, a tall ask. Yeah, because that might scare people. I mean, it did when Nicholas threw it out there. Maybe that maybe the answer is the progressive. Well, decline. I think if again, if it's done right with the ball, it may be a, it may be done that way. It may if the if the design of the dimple pattern or whatever it is. This, I mean, I still would love to see a slightly larger ball tested. The Magna, the Callaway X Top Flight Magna. I've had a friend that. put that on. Oh no, they brought it back. You know, when did they bring it back? Last year. And I got in, you know, Hank Haney, uh, I was arguing with him on that. And I said, Hank, because you know, he, he's always thought the ball should be a little bit bigger because same thing. It wouldn't affect the distance of the average guy, but it would. I mean, he wasn't thinking of it that reason. He was thinking of it for 
okay. short game for it okay. just be easier for people. Slightly larger ball. So they brought that ball back. It's it's been very quiet, but um, a friend of mine has a, a teaching studio on TrackMan, and I asked him to work that in, and and he showed me, sent me a lot of numbers that were interesting, and it really had no impact on the the average guy, and only at the high end clubhead speeds was that slightly larger ball an issue. So, but they don't get into that into the dimensions much. I would. It, it could still be a sensitive topic between the RNA and the USGA with the old British ball. I don't know. What uh? So venues, you know, essentially wooden bats from baseball were, you know, wooden bats save iconic golf, uh, iconic stadiums. stadiums like Wrigley Field. Yeah, you know, it's my home Fenway, right? And safety so, issues yeah. as well. So with yeah, huge safety for the, especially for those pitchers. I yeah. couldn't imagine being a pitcher if it was aluminum. Um, with uh, with golf, what are what are some venues? off the top of your head that mm. become all of a sudden opportunities for major champions. Say it's, say it's six to 8%. Gosh, I don't know. I have to think I, I'd have to look at a list because, um, you know, I just look at more places like Wilshire here in LA where it can host the women used to host the LA open. Uh, obviously could ne- probably not do it now because of, of the needs of a tournament. But it certainly couldn't host the men. Couldn't host the USAM though. No, no, and I, that's probably the more interesting one to start thinking of the places because because you know like Bel Air was interested in the US Amateur. Um, they'd average like three point two on the first hole. It's a par five, you know. I mean, it, Col- Colin um, Sheehan. So Bel Air is probably outdated, which is frightening. You know, it hosted the US Amateur in nineteen seventy six. It can't host it now, probably. I think. The I mean, they had the stroke play portion there, but. Colin Sheehan reached out to the NCAAs about having Yale NCAA championships at Yale, and they said that they needed, I think, four hundred. Yeah, well, they're an obtuse organization. They do a horrible job with course setup at the NCAAs too. So. But but think about that <laughs> Yale, which was you know. Oh my gosh, which should be just fine. Yeah, but yeah. it's not anymore. You know. Um, yeah, no, it, it, I think that's what's most interesting when you start thinking about like places that used to host. Juan Moisid. Oh yeah, no chance. Yeah. Um, U.S. Open qualifiers that don't anymore. Uh, there are a lot of places that just just don't. Um, I mean, you know, the player, the Sawgrass would be so much more interesting. Yeah, because they put driver it, back. It's in taken hands. driver out of their hands. They tried to get it back a little last year, and I think it worked a little. They they took the rough down, um, but it's still it doesn't really. It's still so short that that the, the driver is just. The power game is muted there, and they play that up as one of the great attributes of that course, um, that it has such a variety of winners. But I would counter that actually it would be more interesting if a a long hitter on his game having a great week like Greg Norman did a long time ago where he just completely dismantled that course and the field with his driver because he was so accurate and so long. And, yeah, it was soft that year, and, and I can't remember. Was it 24-under? I can't remember the score. But I, I remember at the time because he, he the driver was a, a legitimate weapon. It should be. So, we don't so want to change is, that, I that takes that away. A, this is an important point that everybody is like, oh, you're just going after the long no, hitters. No, no. In fact, no. I think more long hitters have recently figured out they're getting screwed. I think Rory McIlroy has finally realized, wait a second, I, I have a skill here. Adam Scott I know did. Um, came to that conclusion, 
I think Phil yeah, has talked about it at Medina. Right, right, right. So there are guys who are now starting to figure that out. It's like, wait a second. He shouldn't be within 10 yards of me. I, I watched a BMW. I was watching Rory play with Ollie Schneider, Jans, and somebody else at Conway uh, three years ago. And I remember, you know, Ollie Schneider, Jans, is hitting it, and he's a great player, you know. But Rory, Rory's the greatest driver of the golf ball we've may have ever seen. And and I'm watching Ollie just, like, drive it 15 yards past him casually and, like, right up. And I'm just thinking in my head, I'm like, this just isn't right. No. These guys aren't on, in the same stratosphere. <laughs> and, no. it, and this guy's, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, and I was like, how does, how does Rory not see this? It's, I think a lot of these guys, it takes some time. It takes some rounds like that where they'll just say, well, that's not right. You know, that, that, how can he be doing that? Um, and I think that's why it'll be interesting to watch is this report. None of these guys will read this report. Um, and I don't blame them. I mean, they have better things to do than read. Do they? All these. Yeah, they do. They don't read anything. Most of them. <laughs> so they read Twitter headlines like most athletes and that's fine. Whatever they have, they have, that's, this is their job. I understand they're not going to sit and read a report, but I do think that it will be fun to watch the reactions to the discussion from players because I, I've since there has been a, a change and you know when tigers out there making this case uh, a lot of them simply just no take their their lead from him and think well wait a second uh why would why would he have this view um and it's not his is somewhat selfish no question I like all of them like but but like nicholas and bobby jones it really ultimately is not selfish it's they have a vision and a, a ability to to see a lot of different elements of the game They've dabbled in course design or really worked in course design. And they all, all three, the three greatest ever. Hogan's the only kind of great player who really just didn't have any affinity for architecture and didn't talk about the distance topic. And it wasn't a big deal in the, in the, yeah, I mean, at given, that era. Yeah. yeah. But it, those three all do, they all have common bonds. They all said similar things. Um, and, and it's really interesting that, that people then, over time have sort of poo-pooed that they've just, Oh, well, they're just, uh, Jack just was mad. Cause he never made a good ball. And, uh, Tiger's saying I don't know that what people are saying that Tiger's saying that cause he's, he's old. Yes. Yes. I've heard he's, that. Yeah, sure. It's he's, just like, are you kidding? Yeah. It's cause yeah. he's, he's getting passed by and it's like, no, it's a little more complicated than that. He, it's a little more refined and sophisticated. And from a point of view, he could be way more selfish about it, but it's, it's bigger than, that, himself because tiger and scott both said stuff after uh, medina and that was the is that both of them are over the hill and it's like well you know adam scott had the best statistical season of his career last year so and you know hits the ball a long way um and distance is not an issue for him but but what is an issue for him i know because i've talked to him about it uh is he just he, he is uh, he finds it revolting that 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 people can just swing away at it and that the, the, that beautiful combination of, of length and accuracy is, is less meaningful. And they get into that in the report here. That used to be a big thing with the USGA and, and the RNA. Um, and I think that's what's interesting about this report. They're, they've, they've just broadened their thinking. And obviously, they have a lot of new people. But they're not hung up on a lot of the things that they used to get hung up on. Like, they used to get hung up on that driving accuracy and moneyless thing, which is somewhat important it's one of many factors you might look at but i don't know if it's if it, it used to get so much importance from them and then when it started to become 
Yeah. When it got flipped, it became less important because it was harder to make their case uh, that something, um, everything was fine as, as the numbers flipped and, and your, your, uh, your top 10 money winners were all outside the top 100 in accuracy. Excuse me. FedEx cut points. FedEx points. This yeah. The courier point. I gave money to FedEx today, by the way. They need help. So that was this report that I, I made the copy of. That was <laughs> Cur- made my contribution. Cur- courier point. I had not been this in is, there in a long this time. This is not a branded po- FedEx. Oh, branded sorry. Po- sorry. You know, yeah. <laughs> be, let's be in big courier points. Yeah. Um, so PGL. Okay. You've been, you've been agent zero on this. Oh, well, that's you know you've been. I like the some... wood. Didn't I hear you? Didn't you make a Woodward uh, reference? I liked that better. I, I think but... that was uh, that was my uh, more esteemed colleague oh, okay. on the Shotgun okay. Star. Okay, more who's 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 a little under the weather today. He's more well read okay. than I am. <laughs> uh, you know who Bob Woodward is? Yeah, I know. Okay, okay, Woodward. just checking. <laughs> but uh, so what do you what do you? Uh, there's been a lot of talk. This is it's kind of crazy where these things are coinciding. With we got distance stuff finally coming ahead, yeah, and then. We've got a potential threat to the PGA Tour all of a sudden popped up. Yeah. Um, what what's the uh, what's the latest with the with the, that you're hearing with the PGL? And uh, if you were going to put a percentage on it, what would you your percentage on the viability of it be? I'm, I'm still at fifty percent. I think I mentioned on Hank Haney's pod. I, w- I went down to Torrey Pines at like fifteen to twenty, mm-hmm. and I left there at fifty, um, just for a variety of reasons. Um, the fact that no player has just flat out slammed it as a disgusting, well, Gary player called it, you know, greedy as he was in Saudi Arabia, taking a check from golf Saudi, which we'll see if he leaves, if he gets out of the country in one piece, Greg Norman was on the panel was a lot smarter saying, Hey, this thing has, has more legs than my idea, which, you know, killed him to admit that. Um, And his reasoning was, was sound that he sees a little more cohesion in their concept in terms of the people doing it sponsors and all other I mean, elements Norman's biggest flaw might have been walking in the room and with fincham and laying out his idea yeah and then it was him that it was a player one guy out front this group has been stealth and quiet and they've been working behind the scenes which a lot of people mocked when they when rory said uh he first heard about it in 2014 and people went oh well they've been at it this long well some people would actually admire that patience and that willingness to keep kind of refining the idea. Obviously they're making a there. It's a full core press now because the television contracts haven't been signed and they are really probably making one more go at this. And then they, I think got a big chunk of money. Um, I think they had a lot of great assets and backers and, I've heard some really wild uh, rumors of other backers, but then it sounds like the Saudis have pledged more money on top of the other stuff they have. And then they have this rain group who, uh, when you talk to people in the financial world, they were not mentioned in any of the documents that I had. So they're a more recent addition to this as well, which is why I think the name change went from tour to, well, went from world golf series to tour de force, to the Premier Golf League because they're a big part of the Premier Lacrosse League and and big backers of that. So I think that's where that name idea came from. I, I still don't quite get how you can get away with that name. but So there, there are those two pieces, which was the one thing I had incorrect in my report, which they went out of their way to correct. Um, but those are the two most kind of late, last-minute things that have come in that have made this. 
I mean, I have a, I, I went to some agents who are really negative, who never say, they say no to everything and they put everything down and they could not badmouth this because it's not just that they're going to get more money out of appearance fees because uh, there's a structure for appearance fees in this for players and then the agents would reap benefits from that. But it's really well-conceived. They've gone into a lot of detail in 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 thinking about how to better uh, the modern golf tournament and then how to deal with this team element and or to bring in a team element. So that's why people can't shoot it down and, and make fun of it or, or mock it because they've, as Rory said, they've seen all these little holes in the way the professional golf world has developed, the way the PGA Tour and European Tour can't get on the same page, all those little things. And they're seizing on that. Yeah, I, that's the thing you look at is like they are, they're hitting on every single hole that, that is present you know whether it be even to the t of of coverage you know the idea of shotgun starting off the first two days so that everybody fits within this five hour window right and like having every and you start to look at events one of my uh followers did a mock pgl leaderboard i think at tory where he Mm. took out all of the you know non-top 50 and then you look at the leaderboard and you're like wow everybody's going to be interested in a tournament that has that leaderboard every single week. Yeah. I, the one thing I struggle with though, um, in that notion is we've had WGCs with great leaderboards and small fields, no cuts, and there is something missing. And there's a certain beauty in a more democratic game where we do get to see, uh, a less known or a journeyman or whatever you want to call them. And, and people get so upset, all those different names, but it's just somebody who's not a superstar, yeah. take down a star or give them a run for their money. There's a certain beauty in that, that golf has that few other sports have it the way golf does. So here's my, my refute to that okay. would be that, you know, on the PGA tour, it's not a meritocracy anymore. There's so many handout exemptions. There's so it's, once you're on tour for five years, it's so hard to get off the tour mm-hmm. that, you know, you got guys that are essentially, you know, J.J. Henry last year and John Sennon this year, 300 made cuts. Like, what? 300 made cuts so you get an extra year on tour? Why? Right. Like, yeah. Okay, you, you, your reward for making 300, you've made a boatload of cash. Yeah. Doesn't mean you get it. And, and you have, instead, you don't have the best players in the world on, on the on the PGA Tour at all times. You have most of them, but like we saw last year with Sung J M. I mean, the kid went down, was on the on the web, then web dominating. Right. You know, he comes up immediately, has the same type of success on the PGA Tour. It's like that. Those types of guys should be getting up. Like in tennis, if you're the best player in the world and you're right. 17, you're getting into Wimbledon. Yeah. Like if you're that, there is no barrier to get up. So I would say. When I think about the PGA Tour and their like response, it has to be like, well, we need we need a shakeup because there shouldn't be all time money exemptions. There shouldn't be, and I, I think they carry the they carry the weight because there's a problem right now with professional golf where the younger players aren't are the best players in many cases, but they aren't the most marketable players, and that's one of the things that golf struggles with is mm. where the most marketable players. Steve Stricker is more marketable. Than Sung JM. Yeah, but uh, well, okay. Steve Stricker's more marketable than 
right now Victor Hovland. Well, I mean, he's going to be a Ryder Cup captain. There's other, there are other, but, he had longevity. There are reasons for that. It has Zach, nothing to do Zach with Johnson, I don't think it has to do with age, except for the fact that he's been around. But, right? So those are the guys that are going to get the mass consumer to buy him because, you know, my, my buddies have no clue who, you know, well, most of the young guys but are. That's, I mean, somebody, you have to start somewhere. Uh, and that's what, that's the way it's always been. Eventually, somebody's good enough. They hang around enough. You see them enough. They they become familiar to you. Um, but the question I have, I guess, in that sense with your, your theory is, is that a product of um, those guys not getting to build their image enough because there's just so many events? It's all spread out. It's a mess. There's no Q school. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I mean, look at Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa. See, I got that on the first try, by the way. You did. Yeah, I didn't I'm say. Impressed. I didn't see uh, whoever that. I'm still looking for that young, up and coming Mariyama guy that he mentioned. <laughs> anyway, um, Matthew Wolf. Um, well, they're the big, pretty the recognizable big... guys because they, you know, NCA Golf Channel and NCA is bigger now. Um, Victor Hovland won the U.S. Amateur, which doesn't mean what it used to mean, but it still is something. I so I, I just wonder if part of the youth not being able to get that recognition is just because it's such a spread out mess of well, there's so schedule. many of them and i, I think the, well there's a lot of them and they come and go i mean the game the way back to our original topic here today uh, is the longevity is going to be tough when it all comes down to essentially putting if it's a drive and bomb and and who makes the most putts game you can have a i think a big turnover uh, in terms of both uh uh, uh, that it's a one-dimensional way to play the game. There's a lot of money. You can have a good few years, and, and eh, if it ends, it ends. But I also think there's a whole element of guys are just going to lose interest. Well, they make it's so much less, money. It's a less interest. They're not, they're, there's very few guys who will keep playing just because it's so fun to play. I got the money in the bank. Now it's just fun to win. I mean, Justin Thomas, yes. Rory, yes. But that's it. There's a, there's a lot of guys who, nah, I got my money, and uh, I had a good run. And, and I don't, you know, I don't... Um, I don't, I don't uh, behoove them for uh, having that that view, but the, I blame the equipment a little bit on that, I, it, it, or the, the way the game's played. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it is lessened. I mean, how many guys go play for fun besides Zach Blair and Jim Herman and there's one other, oh, Justin Thomas and Ricky occasionally go Brand, somewhere. Brandon Stone. Brandon Stone. Um, Went with the hickories, yeah. uh, and mostly because they were the uh, burnt orange grips was really the thing that got his attention when he walked by uh, Jack, the Jack White shop in Gullen, which was because I was at that tournament, and mm-hmm. you know we got him going, and that was the thing. But it got him going. He took him to San Andrews. But again, we're talking about how many guys, and how many now play a practice round and have a money game. Well, Phil's money games are over. The, the, the now it's uh, what's nine what, holes. What days your nine? What days your front nine practice round? And what days your back nine practice round? You know, and it's not, and they're just out there charting and hitting shot, uh, hitting multiple putts. Nobody's playing a money game for fun. So I, I wonder what that will do to career longevity. I don't know how we well, we went yeah. off the rails here, but the the PGL. But back to that. Um, I think it has legs. I think it, the thing that you have to whether it happens or not now. Uh, the stuff that's out there and that I'm going to p- keep putting out because I have more to put out um, will force the tour to make major changes. Something It's going to force a major change. It may that, be a merger. And that's the thing. is like uh, I don't know where the tour goes. I think it's an easy one, really, to, to counter it. It may not work, but I think it's an easy one. You, you 
have to merge tomorrow with the European tour. Each tour probably has to shed 10 events. That additional money goes to current tournaments, and you have to merge the WGCs and Rolex. And unfortunately, I'm not a fan of crapping on great events like the one we have at Riviera or or a John Deere that gives amazing money to charity, or I mean, we've just killed the Byron Nelson. Um, that, that might have that might be dead now. Yeah, I mean, a lot. And Bob, the 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 American Express, the old Bob Hope. I mean, some of these events that built the tour have just been completely crapped on. Western by, Open doesn't exist. The Western anymore. Open doesn't exist. I mean, that's 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 maybe one the, of the biggest, arguably the greatest crime. Yeah, in terms of what former that former major was. championship, the market that it now doesn't always come to every year. Um, well, think about think about the PGA Tour. There's those, no those regular stalwart events have been no undermined. That's regular sad. stop in New York, Boston. Oh, it's unbelievable. Washington D.C., Chicago, and, and the Houston one's a minor league event. The fourth largest city is a is a is a minor league event. You get the three biggest markets for golf. Yeah, New York, Chicago, eh, maybe Boston might count as one of the biggest markets. But, but they're only there every other year. They're, they don't have regular <laughs> events. Like and by the way, they supported that event. Even at the TPC Boston, it's yeah. been supported. So LA is the only of the uh, the biggest uh, ultimate markets that's, that hasn't had its event undermined. It's actually gotten stronger in part cause, just because of its date and the course. It lost its name though. Oh yes, it did. I mean it's uh, it's the Genesis Invitational. It's just brutal. But so so I would say you merge the Rolex and the WGCs. You have a true world set of events, and I think you have a you can make a formidable case. Because you know, there's a lot of money that you take out of those events, and I'm sorry, it's sad you got to kill them. But they've added so many opposite field, and they've added things when they didn't need to be adding. You're not a fan of the Bermuda? No. What a what a joke! What an embarrassment! It's just stupid. Um, the Puerto Rico, all these things. Uh, the Barracuda. <laughs> you don't want to see Neil Lancaster. The strength of field and the Barracuda. I mean, nothing against Colin Morikawa. I didn't nailed it again. Uh, but. I mean, that strength of field was unbelievable if you go look at the numbers. And I don't even study those numbers much, but I just happened to be looking at different events to see what were the, what the worst was last year. And it, it was, I mean, you had, there is Spike McCroy. Well, that's Spike, the thing. Spike McCroy is a, you know, he sells mutual funds. There, there, I, I, and he's coming out of retirement. I did not know Guy Boros still played golf. Actually, that's the thing. And he was there. Um there were people, John. This is, so this is what so, I'm talking anyway, about with yeah. the with the how you have some of the best players in the world right. on the Corn Ferry Tour. Right? How are they not getting in those events? And you got guys coming out of retirement. Yeah. Charlie Belgian, his Twitter said retired. retired. <laughs> and totally, he was he, he, auditioned at the Golf Channel. He's he's <laughs> looking that, for other things to do. He got like seven stars last year. Unbelievable. He's changed it to semi-retired. It's crazy. Golfer. It's nuts. So they have so much. So much uh, just junk in the way of events, and that that's a lot of money that goes to those. So the big problem, and I've discussed it on multiple pods, and, and everybody knows it, and it's the one that the players are just that a lot of fans don't understand. And ultimately it comes down to the executives of the PGA Tour are incentivized by the boards, the player board and, and the uh, policy board, to add playing opportunities and – purse growth we don't i don't know well, exactly how so, they're incentivized but they they're they're incentivized to do so they get bonuses by doing that so that's what they've done this, this is where the major change has to happen and i don't know if it's possible is because right now the pga tour is is numbers 52 through 150 carry more weight than players or similar one through 52 
Yeah. And with the PGL, it's it's all about the top fifty guys. And yeah. and that's I think where where the issue lies is that they have, you know, completely different and and for the PGA tour, or maybe that's with a mel you know, emerging of the European tour where that change could happen. Yeah. I just wonder, you know, we're not in on the, the meetings, but I do wonder how much of that what you're saying is actually really genuinely true or have those people taken on that, that prominence and because they've spoken up enough and then this structure exists for the people doing the work, the negotiating, the, the building the relationships with a sponsor to create a new event, if all that incentive for them uh, is is to create those spots for those people, and is it really it, for the betterment of golf? And it's it, I don't think it is, uh, or at least for the PGA Tour or the European Tour. They're, they've got a lot of bloat as well. So I think there is a solution for those two tours, whether they're working on it uh, or open to that discussion. I don't know, but it seems to me like it's kind of a an emergency situation for them. When you look at what's going on and the tour contract needing to be signed, it's not signed. This group clearly I mean, making. I don't a, know how a network exec could sign it. Not now, no. You'd be you 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 could get in big trouble if you sign something and then this thing happens. And at the very least, it should be prompting, uh, or or just there should be a pause to say, okay, well, is this thing going to make you guys react in some way? So anyway, it's been fascinating. I mean, I sat on it a long time, uh, what I had, and because I wasn't really feeling like I, I wasn't getting that sense other than from some agents, and then I started getting more of a sense that it was legit and that the money was more legit. Um, and uh, it, it really has been fascinating to watch. how. And then every day there's just something in the news. You know, we learned yesterday the tour – Talked to the Saudis a few years ago, uh, um, and and the golf Saudi group wants to add another European tour event, and they were the most interesting comment in the in the story by Martin Dempster was, we would love to, yeah, you know, we'd love to do anything that that's good for the game. Basically, they they want to sport wash. They want to get into sports and and make us think of them as people who love sports, not people who love to behead journalists, and they will put anything out there that's positive that, 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 that they can back in golf and it's part of a greater like, plan. Like Patrick Reed doing the children's. Uh... That didn't do it for me. <laughs> or that faux Super Bowl. Jeez, they, they are so bad at photo ops. But the, the thing that was most telling was uh, the golf Saudi dude's quote about um, the time element. I don't want to butcher it, but he said, uh, let's pull it up here because it was it was – his his exact quote was, um, <laughs> he mentioned the World Cup, and uh, but here was uh, the, the the key line. Uh, we can address it in multiple ways. This is uh, uh, the guy, the dude's name here. Uh, I've already forgotten it, and he's he's the one who controls the the bucks for the Crown Prince, uh, Saror. And he, he said, is it good for the game or not? This is regarding the P Premier Golf League. This is what we're thinking. If something is good for the game, we should just listen to the people who are leading it, sit down with a PGA Tour if the time permits. So it was like, well, we talked to you guys a few years ago. 
we talked about a World Cup. Now we're talking to these people, and we're pretty far. That that to me said we're pretty far along. And oh, if we have time, we'll fit in a meeting with the tour, and we'll see if maybe there's something that can work out. That had, I mean, that line right there, and that was said at a summit, a public event. Martin Dempster wrote it, but everybody was there. That had to just, I would think that would. <laughs> I'm surprised Jay Monahan didn't WD from the pro-am immediately upon reading that. Like, we need to this – is, this is moving fast. Well, and that's what we've seen. And even, like, the small scale of – we saw the Tiger-Phil match, which came up outside. I mean, immediately the tour had to just get control of that. You know, lessened the, the pot, cheapened it out because – in my, this is just my personal opinion, it was to take away from the event to not make it appear like that format of golf could possibly threaten the PGA Tour week in, week out. But the the viability, the thing that it showed me was, okay, if I'm Phil or Tiger, I can go out and play one round of golf for $10 million. <laughs> what am I doing Yeah, going to you know, Memphis to play for $10 million with 70 other people right. for, for an entire week in July. Yeah. You know what? I can just go generate this capital. And this is the beauty of the, that PGL. What they've set out is like, Hey, you're, you're a superstar. Like you're going to get paid like a superstar. And like when, and the thing that I wonder about that league is, is the player turnover and how much yeah. it becomes a, a, a buddies group, you know? And I I did a post late last week because I I missed it in my initial reading of the the documents because it is the one big flaw to me is how players kind of come and go and because they do envision that some people will get waived from a team if their game's bad and so they do think in year two they would start a feeder tour so that part of it is still a little bit dicey because you, you're going to need to develop new stars. And you're going to have to have a place where, let's say they started this league three years ago. Well, and it's in play now. Where do Spieth and Jason Day go? Yeah. They're suddenly, you know, falling out of that that elite group. Do they get the chance to go back and play on these other, this this feeder tour? uh, And then, or do they go back to the PGA Tour or what's left of it? Uh, those kinds of things are a little bit still to me questionable. It doesn't take into account that people just lose their golf game. Well, I think one of the <laughs> or they one get of hurt. The, one of the things that it brings in that the tour might be missing for a really ha, has been like the fatal flaw and that has allowed this to happen is that those teams will have an owner. Yes. Yeah. And I'm assuming the owner will be heavily incentivized to win. Yeah, somewhat incentivized. I mean, they're they're incentivized the way I read it as. Uh, to build a franchise essentially that it's not just winning, but it's sort of a, it's a vibe. It's a brand. I hate that word, but it, it's, uh, so if your team stinks, it's not going to do you any good to have. It's not great, but if you're in that league, you're in good shape that you've got yeah, one. And I true. think the concept with the, the franchise is that you start with players, but I see it evolving. Into I could see it. I could see Phil having, selling, uh, selling. And then it's some, some, yeah, you know, guy, who knows? Tom Brady plays with him in the Pro-Am and buys 20% of it as a fun thing to do. You know, there are a lot of ways it can go. But the idea is to start with players. But there are a lot of billionaires where you could see, you know, uh, Johan Rupert wanting a, a kind of a South African focus group. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, J.P. McManus might have a real, uh, you know, Paul McGinley will be his manager. 
and, uh, of the team, and he'll have, uh, you know, Padraig will be in there or uh, uh, Shane Lowry, and it, there might be an Irish thing. And, and I do think that people get focused on the top 48 in the world. I, I think it'll be more like the top 25 or so they can get, and then there's going to be some Poulters and some Harringtons, some personalities, people that, let's be honest, we enjoy having them in the game. They bring color and they're, they're a little kooky or they're – um, they're fun. G Mac is a great talker, you know, people like that. He's not going to do any inter- interviews anymore in the round. But, <laughs> um, so I would, I, people get very caught up in those numbers and I don't think it's necessarily and a I, straight world ranking ripoff. And I think it's, it's, if, if the five big names go, that's, that's when it's, then everybody's worried about missing the boat. So your five are uh, tiger. Phil. I, I mean, I think, Rory, I think Steiny's clients alone would do it. Rose. Rose Tiger JT, yeah, um, uh, Gary Woodland and Kucher. I mean, those five go. Yeah, who's who's yeah, sticking around? Big, who's sticking around? Sure, that's a big group that goes. Um, but it has to start with Tiger. Um, it used to be Cantlay as part of that group, but he he's uh, moved on to somebody else. Um, but I, that, I mean, it, that and agents, you know, relationships with agents don't matter. Although Lagadier, I think, is very involved in this more than other agencies because they have some relationships with some of the people who are investors as they started digging that uh and the fact that a couple of their people who i don't even know are constantly staring at me during the interview sessions <laughs> after i posted the item at, at tory might have indicated that they were they were trying to read me or something i don't know uh, or maybe they just thought i was really good looking but i don't think so i think it was a little bit more of um could have been a little of both could have been a little bit of both but i'm pretty sure it was don't like sell yourself short. so that's the guy who wrote that item um mm-hmm. so yeah i i don't know if agencies though will really matter because this group the uh, rain group if you go through their stuff they've had they've done deals with caa uh, uh endeavor william morris uh, um which is you know now uh uh, IMG mm-hmm. uh, element. Not that they have a lot of players, but they have a lot of influence. And a lot of these guys who are involved in the thing you see in their resume, they're ex-IMG, some ex-IMG people. Of course, Mark Steinberg's ex-IMG. I mean, there's a, it's a, I don't, I think that's another thing that's fascinating about it. It's not like it's just Logadier and we're going for it. it there, are, there are little tentacles and all sorts of parts. And that, like, unlike again with Norman, where it was just Greg Norman and Kerry Packer, this has got, it's that time, 2014 probably built a lot of relate you know like you think about the, the sure. amount of time and the ability to build relationships over that time quietly yeah and uh it, it'll be i mean it's gonna be a fun year to, uh, the it's oh got, it's yeah we got golf but then we've got all this it almost feels like the nba with free agency and trade deadline with all the stuff kind of yeah and they want to bring some of that in so it'll be yeah i don't know i hope it doesn't uh once we get to the majors uh overshadow those obviously but and the way it's going, it's going so fast. I feel like it's gonna. The smartest thing they did was they did not touch the majors, and they said we're just we're gonna cater everything around the right, majors. Right, right. And it's a January to September schedule. Um, I mean, they get down to stuff like we're gonna finish on Mondays when it's a national holiday, which again, not makes, complicated. Makes a lot of sense. I'm sure they got a lot of input from TV people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Imagine that you know you got Mon- everybody's got Monday off in the world and and you you got a golf tournament yeah it's on a Monday when nothing else is going on finish it against the AFC and NFC championship games the two of the biggest television audiences of of the year yeah yeah so yeah and then that's the other thing that's kind of come out in this is is how many people uh, genuinely 
the, the, the tour has fewer friends maybe than they realize just on the comments that I've, I've seen. Um, and that's a, that's a problem for them. I mean, they, uh, it's, and some of it's unfair, by the way. Yeah. I mean, they're they're trying to cater a lot of things. It's it's not an easy thing to do. I don't envy the commissioner having to deal with some of the the things they have to deal with. And I I just think sponsors of, of things that a, from covering an event in person, the things that that media goes through, and it's like, oh, that's make it as hard as possible on right. On, and you know. and so I always thought it was really just us that kind of got that treatment. But then as you start talking to tournament directors, sponsors. Um, you, you, you know, my mouth has just dropped a few times listening to people who represent a blue chip sponsor, just a, a company you go, they, you would think they'd just be running around in circles to please. And they have bad taste in their mouth from their interactions with, with the tour or in wanting to renegotiate something or, um, having questions about things that, that aren't happening the way they thought or whatever it is. And they can't stand them, and that's scary. I mean, it's one thing they do that stuff with media, but when you when you get that from sponsors that are really important sponsors, that's uh, that's weird. I'd imagine that the a PGL rights deal might be worth more than a, than the PGA Tour. Well, the interesting thing about it, from what I read of everything, is there it's not. Uh, overly reliant on the TV money to make it work. That's the thing. Which is kind of, I'm still not sure if that makes sense. Maybe over time it does. But to get it going, you you sense it's like, well, they want to put the thing together and then the the right TV partner will come and that money will come. But it's not like, okay, we've gone to, because a lot of these leagues and different things have started with a, a partner in television. This uh, that football thing that died recently. XFL. Uh, no, that one that it's American. The American coming back. The one that didn't even make it through like four games this uh, last year. The American whatever. And I think that was partnered with. Uh, was it NBC? Dick Ebersol was uh, his, his son was behind it. Anyway, it went fast. The XFL, USFL, but a lot of those things have been the brainchild of. Of, of a group and TV, this one is not. It's a brainchild of, of people who've seen the model, and they'll get the TV partner when they well, I think that, uh, get the players. You look at the most successful golf tournament in the world, the Masters, and the, I think the reason it's the most successful golf tournament is that they own every aspect of their product, and they dictate the terms with everybody. Yeah. And that's the brilliance of starting with no partner is that you are not catering to anybody. Right. You know, from from the get-go. And uh and then it allows you the ability to dictate terms. Yeah, I mean the only I think that's absolutely right except in one case which is they will have to do some things to bend for Tiger. Yeah. Uh which if, if my original report was 10 events um because everybody told me they've knocked it to 10 and they the two things they really went out of their way to refute uh the number of events at 18 and the rain group they wanted to make sure that that was what you associated with as the funding not uh what i had said which was softbank and um private equity and middle east money um so the fact they kind of went out of their way to to do that uh i thought was interesting i still don't believe that they could this will work with 18 events because of tiger and a lot of the other guys too they want to they want to play about 18 events a year the elite players. And so you take you take this thing down to 12 or 10 events. They get to play a few other things that they've always played, the majors, and boom, there there's their season. And that's just the right amount for them. So I don't see the 18 
happening. And the only possibility is they they say, okay, uh, the legends or the the player captains uh, get exempt from. They don't have to play. Maybe they knock it to fifteen, or, or they make the roster because correct. They make There's the roster Tiger, six guys on a team, and, and there's play people four. who come and go. It's going to be hard though when you you're saying you're going to bring these guys together and then these stars don't play, but that may be the kind of little thing they have to do is say, yeah, well, there's, there's people in the bullpen injured. essentially. Yeah. yeah. If somebody gets injured, you know? Yeah. Like team it, tiger has, well, yeah. And imagine and, the team with Jason day, like, you know, you, you oh never, boy, you better have be, an alternate. Yeah. You're gonna, it, it could be like college golf where you have five <laughs> scores and count four or something. Yeah. So that th- those little tweaks I think will be, that'd be an interesting format. If it they would. went college golf style. Well, yeah, because that is the other flaw that I think I see is the team thing at the end. These yeah. four-person teams. Uh, I don't know if that's enough. I'm more, I'd be, I think I'd be more interested in a six-person team. Like I'm not sure if that if, if that if that team is enough, or is it something where yeah, you have at that end it's uh, the playoffs. It, like, in the play, yeah, yeah, they have a playoff, a Ryder Cup style playoff. Europe, you know, they're trying to get a, a Europe U.S. final kind of thing. So. Um, yeah, I think that roster flexibility is it would be interesting, both in bringing in a few more players and then allowing those big names to, or maybe allowing them to have a bigger schedule, but then allow those big names to to not play every event. So those are things they have to work out if this happens. Yeah. Um, it's, it's exciting. All right. Well, it's exciting to 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 those of us who are interested in some outside the box thinking. I don't think it's very exciting in certain parts of um, our fine country, <laughs> where suddenly this threat is is kind of real. Um, but it's been in the works a long time, and a lot of people have known about it, so they've had time to counter it. They didn't take it seriously, and now they're going to have to play catch up. So it's going to be interesting I- to watch. But either way, for us, for fans, media, I think at the end, no matter what happens. It's going to force some big changes and impro- exactly keyword improvement. Be, Correct. It's, it's going to make whatever we're watching on TV better. It's not going to make it worse. Yeah. Correct. It's uh you know competition generally breeds you know exactly improvement. Yeah. So, uh, hey, thanks for the time. My it's pleasure. Good. Thanks for coming to our our fine city. That's a quick trip. So in and out i gotta come for longer i I just can't afford to live out here it's a little pricey out here yeah (laughs) it is you you, it's especially in this area where we are which is you know like 400 yards as a bird flies from the 13th green at riviera yeah undisclosed podcast exactly yeah 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 but it ended (laughs) up being quiet so that's good so people can read you at jeffshackleford.com they still can you're you're you've been very active i i'm jealous i i miss my, uh, it's okay. my days I write, of writing i slacked uh, a lot but uh it's been fun it's fun when there's thing there are things to write about I mean, i'm gonna do a lot on the report and there's probably um, uh, three thousand articles in that report probably probably and there are about three thousand articles in that in that premier league um in their documents as well and i'm obviously trying to be careful because um the thing i haven't seen every single page and things like that but yeah there are a lot of stories there that would and they and they're fun to put out because they prompt discussion and just like this report well if anybody reads it i just wonder you've been on the social stuff today more it'll be interesting to see how many people actually read well i mean people or the summary you can tweet out a beautiful article and somebody will say something and you're like, oh, you didn't read the article. Yeah, they just read the headline. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, you know, I, I wrote, wrote about that in the first paragraph of the yeah. article. Yeah, that is always amazing. <laughs> at, least, at least click on the link and read the first paragraph. No. That's, anyway. Uh, so that's, that's the joys of writing. Yes, it is. So, all right. Uh, people can find you there, Twitter, Instagram, at uh, Jeff Shack. 
And uh, thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you.